you're about to enter seventh heaven. If you like this pod, then you can show your support by rating us five stars and hitting that little subscribe button to help us climb the pod rankings and spread the sevens gospel. If you're looking for extra content, you can go to our YouTube page or our social channels, Twitter and Instagram, our handle at seventh heaven pod. Again, like, subscribe, share, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back once again to your celestial one-stop shop for all things seven where I'm going to set the scene for you because this episode is dropping on a Saturday morning. You're waking up groggy-eyed because you've overindulged in the scoops the night before. You look to your left and you say to yourself, holy smokes, what is that next to me? But suddenly it dawns upon you. It's only your Oompa Loompa outfit that you've been curating for the last month in preparation for the biggest weekend of the year. You've been diligently guzzling Pringles so you've got enough tubes to conceal all your drinks and smuggle them in past Twickenham Stadium security because that's right, it is London Sevens weekend and you've got an 11 o'clock meet in the car park with all your crew until it washes over you like a tidal wave of disappointment. You remember, the series is on its knee, there's no Twickenham, there's no Sevens this weekend but fear not, because you got the next best thing. You're in seventh heaven with myself, Burnsy, Chip and Mitch. Three men behaving like ostriches with their heads in the sand, pretending that all is well in the game. And we're going to dish you up some of Seven's finest. In fact, Mr. Box Office himself, in honour of the London Sevens weekend, we're bringing you London's finest. Yes, yeah, sure, he may be from Gloucester, but... No one has scored more tries for England. No one has scored more tries in the history of sevens. Dan Norton is on the show in the clouds and we welcome you. Burnsy, that was one of the longest, most intricate of the intros you've done so far, but I'm just going to put it out there. I absolutely loved it. That was like, was that a 14 minute intro? I don't, that was unbelievable. I don't think we, we just need to say, here's Dan Norton. And then that's us, I think. The, os- <laughs> the ostrich was a per- I was like, where's he going with the ostrich? Where's he going <laughs> yeah, with the ostrich? Yeah. Oh, ostriches. I was, where's he going with the, where's he going with the wake up in bed next to someone? I was like, oh my, oh my lord. Oh no. That's a bit like what the London Sevens weekend is like there, isn't it? Sounds like the end of season social. <laughs> But that is, that is, that's the London Sevens that we're not going to be enjoying this weekend. And, oh, I'm so gutted. I love it when the Sevens comes to town and you boys must be missing it. It's your home tournament. It's so big. Uh, definitely missing it. It's definitely one of the highlights for us. Our one chance in the year to play in front of home crowd, friends, family, which is it's just special. But um, the home crowd thing is amazing because over the years, some of the best atmospheres I've played in front of at Twickenham. Um, going back a few years before the, the numbers got cold, um, honestly, one of the, the, the loudest stadiums I've played in is about 70 odd thousand on the Saturday and it was unbelievable. And obviously everyone had been having a good time all day. Big story that's broken this week, boys, and very relevant considering we had uh, good old uh, Stewie Dickinson on last week. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so Gordon Titchens stepped down from his role with Samoa this week. We're talking about 
about a man with 12 series titles to his name, quarter of a century in the game of sevens, coaching five Commonwealth golds, two Rugby World Cup golds, about 50 fully-fledged All Blacks have graduated from his sevens programme, and then he's been with Samoa for the last few years. What do you make of that, guys? That is, uh, when you list his achievements there, it's unbelievable. He's definitely uh, been a massive figure in the game historically now. But what's the story? Is he is he retiring then? Because he must be, I don't want to uh, age the man, but he must be pretty old now. So maybe, is he hanging up his, his whistle totally or is he just moving on to another team? Well, he stated that during COVID, he's not seeking a contract extension after August 2020 because of the indecision that is surrounding the game at the moment. So he's not retiring. He's stepping away. And yeah, he's 64 years old. So it begs the question, is there room for Titch to come back into the game as a head coach? Or do you think this is the last we're going to see of it? 64, with the amount of travelling that the Sevens is incurring at the moment, who knows what the future looks like for Sevens, by the way, on that front. But um, it's, a, it's a, lot, a long time away from your family, especially at 64 years old. I don't know what the future holds for him. I'm sure he can add some value somewhere, just maybe not in a coaching role. I don't know. You'd imagine that after doing everything he's done, he's probably, you think he's ready to to hang up his whistle and have have a bit of a break. Do you reckon married to the game of sevens for a quarter of a century? Completed it, any? <laughs> so I, I'm actually really, I have a really good relationship with Titch and he's really friendly now in the World Series and we have, we have a good chat and it has been for a couple of years. But winding the clock back a bit further, I had a bit of a run-in with him. It wasn't a run-in, but it, it, it scarred me. In Hong Kong, there was one bit of fruit left on the platter. We're in the dining room. I didn't use the tongs for the last bit of fruit because it was the only bit of fruit there. I wasn't going to contaminate anything. I took the bit of fruit. I put it in my mouth. And he'd walked up next to me, and I'd not really noticed. He goes, oh, use the tongs, mate. <laughs> and and this is Gordon Titchens, Sir Gordon Titchens, you know, legend of the game, like coaching the All Blacks, who at the time was such a dominant team. I just froze. I was like this, and I was like, oh, 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 I, I, I didn't, I didn't touch anything. I didn't touch anything. Sorry, sorry, I didn't. And he just like walked off by this point, and I was just like there, stuck, frozen, scarred. I felt like I'd been told off by the head teacher. It was horrible. Further to Stuart Dickinson's comments last week about the change since Clark Laidlaw's come in, he spoke about how Clark had made things a bit more technical. He felt that his game had developed a bit more, whereas under Gordon Titchens, it was about endeavour. It was about being relentless. It was about those marginal gains. Do you think that maybe him stepping away from Samoa, the game's moved on? And I think you guys said it last week that the game isn't about those fitness marginal gains. Of course, they're important, but there's so much more nuance to the game these days. Yeah, I think the game has moved on and I think there's only so far you can get focusing on that old kind of strategy. And from an outsider's point of view, we see Samoa train every now and again. It seems like he took a lot from what he used to do in New Zealand and has just applied it to the Samoan team. Um, as I say, I have no idea because we're looking from outside in. But uh, I feel like that some of those strategies uh, are probably not, wouldn't last that long in the, in the game as it is. Um, but it's difficult to say because, you know, Samoa are up and down with their results, but, you know, on their day, they're a great team. Um, so it's difficult to say if you're not in the mix in that squad. 
All right, so uh, so that's the past. Let's step back into the present where we're papering over the cracks of no series leg in London this weekend. And we're doing it with a superstar. Boys, tell us who we got. Big Dan Norton coming on the um, on the pod this week. Really excited about this one. Um, a legend of the game, world record try scorer, catching up for Rodders on the appearances as well. Um, top bloke, great player. Uh, interesting to see what he's got to say. Very cool indeed. Right, you heard it there from the lads. 90 series events, 354 tries and counting. A legend of the game, a blockbuster try scorer. Dan Norton is in seventh heaven. Seven heaven congratulations i know you're a huge listener how does it feel am i the only listener or what like how does it actually work oh dean you've, you've not gone there you've not gone there straight away you mate you know rory don't you uh rory mckinnot shit oh yeah the guys play went sevens. to the world cup apparently yeah 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 held a few bags playing for england yeah i know can i get a water are we, have we started yet or what we're always on mate we're Mate, always on. Always live. Never live. One. You go get water, yeah. <laughs> Nothing is off the table. <laughs> so we started uh, with Norton's going to get a water. Um, we were on the bench in London. Um, was, I think we'd, we'd, we got through the group and then uh, I look at Norts and I've, I've run on the waters. I think it was against Spain and we scored like three or four tries in the first half. So Ooh. I'm a bit tired, you know. Three or four shuttles for me is quite a big off, like from the bench and back. So I've, I've gone to Norts. I said, oh, Norts, I said... Uh, Thank you. I said, Norts, do you want to swap? He said, mate, I'm the world record try scorer f- f- in the whole world. I'm not running waters. Slightly, like, bit, okay. of spi- <laughs> slightly, slightly <laughs> bit of spice on that, to be honest. But hey, I won't, I won't let you get that, that getaway in a good story, though, Chip. Shall I tell you what I actually said to you? Go on. I merely said, when you play over 50 tournaments, boss, let the boys do the water, Chip. You just chill. Relax, man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> Team first. I always knew you were a bad bloke. Team first, boss. They never know. It's okay. Dean first. You know that's our. Um, you know that's one of our team mottos, don't you? You know, like people have stuff on the walls. We got Dean first. In Dean, we trust. You, Bernsey. Um, again, like if we if we're gonna do this like for the rest of the evening, I think we've got a lot of material on all three of us. So let's just keep it nice and civil, shall we, Tom? <laughs> I feel no. So I feel that I feel like you're coming into seventh heaven a little bit guarded. That it's a stitch up operation that we're running here. But this is a professional podding outfit. I don't know if you've seen, but Chippy has it on his LinkedIn as a podcaster. <laughs> so this is all legit. This is above board, man. This is awesome, Rich. Okay, fine. I'll let the guard down and I'll behave myself. Talk us through that picture, Mitch. Uh, so this picture for the listeners who aren't the watchers is. Um, it's a picture of myself, Marcus Watson, who was a guest on a few weeks ago. Great episode, worth a listen. And uh, and Dan Norton, who we've got with us tonight. And uh, we're all dressed up as Frenchmen. I actually can't remember why we're dressed up as Frenchmen. I think it was Tour de France um, themed. 
that was it. But um, the the best thing was obviously the late Tom Powell was arranging the whole detail um, and the map and the stop offs and everything else. Um, and then from that, he <laughs> was playing one of the last games in London Sevens, and he got a bang on the head, got concussion, and couldn't remember the route. Didn't come on the social, and we had to get wake up there, get there, and just make it up as we went along. So yeah, failed social, but a enjoy enjoyable one at the same time. It was actually a disaster, wasn't it? Because he, he'd wanted to surprise all the boys, so he'd kept it to himself and like wanted it to be a big surprise. It was all his, he's like, oh, I've got it. It's all in there. I've got a plan. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Honestly, and, and not making light of uh, of brain injury, but it didn't help us run the social the next day because no. we had no idea what was planned and what we were doing. No. Plus the so, kitty. I don't know what happened to the kitty. I think Chippy got hold of the kitty, to be honest. I wasn't even there for that, so you can't he's accuse me. He's got a free track record with kitties. <laughs> <laughs> what do you go on tell that story Dean what happened with Chippy and the kitty uh, we went away to Portugal with the boys um, only like four or five of us uh, had a great time there for three or four days and then obviously we as you get there you're like okay fine boys we need some some money for the drink and some money for food and stuff barbecue whatever else have a good time and any activities you get up to Gave all the money to Chippy, and he's the most organised. And the yeah, as he kept saying, yeah, don't worry about it, boys. The, I'll get the it patriarch. Sold. Yeah, I, I know people here. I'll get it sold. I'm a fixer. I'm a fixer. So we give Chippy quite a lot of money, not very much. Um, and within about a day and a half, the money is all gone. So we're going out for I don't know first few drinks of the night. Chippy, where's the money gone? Mate, it's all gone, mate. What do you mean it's all gone, Chippy? Who's only giving it to you? And then from there, Chippy lost the lost the kitty or spent the kitty, one of the two. So, I, um, I'll tell you the real story. It was day. It was the, the evening of day two. So we've gone all day, day one, all day, day two on the same kitty, all right, big lad. which was no drink. No, just like not even drinking the whole time, eating and everything. Um, and uh, it was the evening of day two and I paid for the taxi to get in and I got the first round in with the kitty. And then then Dean, Dean goes, oh, can we get another drink? And I was like, no, nah, we need more money for the kitty. And then they proceeded to absolutely hammer me. And obviously, you know me, I've got a bit of a short fuse. Lost the head. I think I started crying. Chucked the kitty <laughs> at uh, Bibs. I was like, you could look after it then. You could look after it. Anyway, back to back to rugby unions. Um, Bernsey, have you have you have you got um, notes of CV there? Do you have notes of CV here? Actually, yes. Debut at Wellington, two thousand and nine. Ninety series events, three hundred and fifty-four tries. Fourth in the all-time scorers of world rugby points. Top in tries. Don't worry, I can see your face there. There Nort. we go. In fact, Mitch, you're fifth. On uh, the all-time list, glue hands. You take ki- you take kicks. How are you behind? Mate, yours? the kid literally every time it was like beforehand back in the day when I first started playing sevens. You know the old school way of playing sevens. If like if you score underneath the posts, then you're way of the kicker back. BG, don't worry about it. I got this kick. So like, that's why I'd lock up a couple of two points here and there. Whereas Mitch. The most tightest person in the team will happily run the 85 meters from our 22, jog it in to take the two points kick. It's like ridiculous. But Mitch, you're still you're still 200 points behind. I'd Mate, so get try, it. try playing on a team with Norts. He's the biggest hogger you'll ever see. All right, I can't compete with that. I'm a team man. Norts is out for himself and his record. I can't I can't fight that. I don't want to. Where am I on the list, Bernsey? 
Mate, I was going to spare your blushes, Chip, but if you want to go through the famous 37 again, then we can. No, that's fine. Um, <laughs> Norts, do you believe in conspiracy theories? Um, some of them. So, yes. Because I've read one today uh, about the coronavirus um, that it was released by James Robbo, so you're not going to overtake him on tournaments. He's just going to keep <laughs> it running until... <laughs> until there's no World Series left, so you can't overtake him on tournaments. Is this true, or what do you think? Yeah, I think it came out of one of his magical fingers. It's like, yeah. Is he, if that is true, is he going to have to keep that going for a long time? Because people have been saying out there, obviously we're all assuming we're going to see you in uh, Tokyo 2021, but people are also saying, are oh, you going to stick around for the next one? What, the next Olympics? Would you do another Olympic cycle? No, boss. Yeah. No, boss. I am a young 32. I don't think my body, my legs, or any more coaches, whoever that may be, can tolerate me. So I think I'll be out if and when I get the chance. Jokes aside, though, and I don't like to, I, I was hesitant to massage your ego at any point during this conversation, but you haven't exactly slowed down. So you're 32 now, and you've scored an unbelievable number of tries in some areas of your game. You're probably playing better than you ever have done before. So, you know, take the age out of it, take the number out of it. Like, you know, why stop now? Yeah. I suppose if you look at that, yeah, that's probably pretty true. Like there's nothing really, there's nothing else that compares to what we do, which is obviously pretty awesome. And there's nothing that will, once you finish, give you that same edge and rush. I don't think, so yeah, it is hard, but at the same time, it's more so just kind of taking it year by year and just seeing like how you are mentally and physically, because it can take a lot out of you and it can be a, a draining experience, especially with all the highs and lows and playing a tournament, not getting where you, to get, not getting to where you want to, like, and then it just turns into an absolute shit show, and then and then it gets pretty frustrating, and then you're kind of battling with being at home at the same time with family, and then yeah, so there's also the dark side of playing sermons, which isn't actually that dark, but when you put in comparison to other people's lives, but like yeah, there, there are some amazing opportunities playing sevens, and I don't think there's many other jobs in the world that kind of compare to that. So yeah, I think if I had an opportunity, my body was okay and everything else, I could produce the goods. Then potentially yes. So you're saying there's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. Who knows? Yeah. So so Norts, how have you maintained that drive across? over a decade of playing on the series only two people have played more tournaments than you you've still got the thirst for the tries it's clear to see but how do you maintain that drive as you said the highs and lows that you've experienced everything that makes you want to keep going back out on the pit well yeah i think like i said there's nothing else compares to it so i kind of just enjoy doing what i'm doing um yeah at the same time it's kind of one of those things where you kind of had to develop with the game obviously so much has changed over the last you know, five, ten years, like like Ben Ryan was saying them on the last podcast. Drop it in there. Um, there you go. Norts is all right. You boys, you were wrong about him. I like Norts. <laughs> so, yeah, but obviously, seeing how the game of sevens has changed and stuff, like you have to obviously be able to adapt and be a lot more rounded, which, and at the same time, if you want to stay in a job, you have to be able to produce the goods. So you're battling two sides there, getting better and improving and trying to, be the best you can be for the team, which is how you stay in a job. So that's kind of what's been driving me. And at the same time, like, yeah, 
like I said, nothing really compares to being in that environment and being in that atmosphere, kind of competing on the highest stage, playing in amazing countries and amazing tournaments. What are some of the areas that you think you've really had to work on and like really stepped up? Because let's be honest, you've always been, you've always been quick and you've always had that ability, which you developed at a young age to beat defenders. And that's always been your X factor. But what are some of the areas of the game? Maybe it is that. But have you added strings to your bow to help you stay at that top? Yeah, I don't think so. Tries, obviously, tries is a massive driver, but at the same time, like, it's not the be on end all. The whole thing is about trying to be better for myself, for the team. So I like, I don't, even though like, I would set myself the goals of actually trying to score tries, like, it's not what it's not what makes me breathe and what makes me tick every day like i'm trying to become better as a whole um things like obviously you've seen over the years where i've kind of had to improve in in areas like tackling that's obviously that's more so a an understanding more so than actual and a bit technical but more so an understanding of what to do here and where and when to do it and obviously there's some of the coaches with rocky and stuff have, um have been a massive help for that and then yeah over the last kind of couple of years it's been more so around kickoffs um again i'm not very good i'm not very good but i'm better than i was five six seven years ago uh and i think the, the main thing around all is just having that confidence and that understanding around what your skill set is what your super strengths are but also what you need to keep doing to try and make that foundation really nice and wide because I think like there are guys out there who've got some incredible super strengths, but obviously at the same time, if their pyramid is not very not very wide at the bottom and haven't got a good skill set, then they're not going to make it that that far. So it's just trying to understand how I can keep changing and adapting and evolving, kind of year on year, really. Has there has there ever been a point where you've worried about longevity of your sevens career? Has there ever been a point where you've thought you've come back one preseason and thought, ah, uh, like you've doubted yourself or, or a coach has put some like. Do you have doubt in your mind or has, has it kind of been smooth sailing up through the tries and through the tournaments and through the years? Yeah, I, I think like, especially the last few years, the pre-seasons and the monotonous of like the long pre-season. So normally we'd kind of have beforehand, we'd end the season in say London uh, around May time and play this in the Europeans. So be on for London, off for a few weeks, back into the Europe stuff over the summer and then kind of play in like, October time. For like, um, there was a few years where we did that in Australia. Whereas some other years where we haven't played in Europe, we've had really long, like six month breaks between playing in London or Paris and then playing in Dubai. So that monotonous and that just feeling of not really achieving very much in just training and just kind of not really ticking a box, but just running monotonously up and down the pitch has kind of takes its toll. And just the wear on your body of jumping and bounding and trying to be fast and sprinting and strong, it just wears away at you a little. And yeah, there has been a few times over the last year thinking, can I keep doing this? Um, how long have I got? But like, yeah, you kind of, those are kind of the thoughts you always have in your head. I know, Chippy, you've got a lot of thoughts in your head, sometimes a lot negative, but it's just about, again, in anything in sport, it's just about trying to find ways of actually overcoming that and just trying to be... Um, and just think, fuck it, really, yeah. Like, just try and keep yourself driving and moving forward. And the competition you get from training, sorry, the competition you get from training and being in that sevens environment is so powerful. So, like, if you compare it to training now in lockdown on your own, it's freaking painful. You're your own boss in a way. Um, there's nothing really, you can't really give anybody shit. Like, my missus is bored of my banter and, like, the boys don't really want me playing with them and trying to challenge them. So, like, having the boys to kind of, 
you know, get your energy from like, is, is a massive driver. And that's what I really live for, giving banter out, abusing people than just, yeah, competing. I was just going to go back to what you're saying, Norts, because I don't want to gloss over what you're talking about, um, your defensive work and the, the physicality and the contact stuff, which you've worked on a lot over the years and I've seen it and you've, you're a lot better at it. But that, I get thanks, a lot of Tom. stick that means, from that these boys. coming from you, Tom. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. the chaperone. I know you. I know you were looking forward to uh, coming on Noughts and be condescended. Yeah. To if that's a word. Anyway, um, I well, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I get a lot of shit from these boys about being dished up by various people, mostly Ben Lamb. That bloke's had more mentions on this pod than anyone. All right, friend of the pod. I want to deflect some of this onto you because I've finally got someone else on here that's had some epic moments and I want to bring one up from Glasgow in 2013. You know this is by the way you can keep telling this story but I've also got a nice little reply to that so keep going Tom go on. All right so honestly I've never seen someone get cut in half so hard. Norse decide Norse has got a good 20 meters of space on the outside and that's his strength really <laughs> he's up against Frank Kalai a big bloke but not as quick as Norse take the outside, take the outside, got to, steps in, takes a Sean Paul off the guy inside him, it tries to hit a short line between Frank Kalai and Bryce Heem. One's gone high, one's gone low. They've cut him in half. Everyone in the stadium just took an intake of breath, like, <gasps> waiting to see if he was going to get back up. G-string. It was like slow-mo. He, he rotated in the air, like horizontally, because he got hit so hard, he's rotating in the air. It was like Matrix sort of shit. It was unbelievable. And oh, I've never seen anything like it. You got up and you like, Ooh. Yeah, it wasn't, <laughs> actually, it wasn't actually that bad. It looked worse than it actually was. But um, yeah, I think from that moment on, I decided never to go to run short ever again. So when I get bibs in my ear saying, <laughs> come short, come short of me, I'm literally like, mate, did it seven years ago and he broke myself in half. Not a chance. <laughs> but at the same time, Tom, let's not forget the one time in that game also when um, a young... Frank Alai decided, so Frank Alai's got the ball, me and Marcus are about five meters away thinking, oh gosh, here we go again. We're about 80 minutes from, um, 80 meters from our poles. Um, I think he knocks on or something. So as he literally catches the ball to run towards that, the referee blows his whistle. Mitch comes out of nowhere, gives him the old spider monkey tackle. He then swats Mitch off, throws him onto the floor after the whistle. Me and Marcus are like... <laughs> Mitch is literally like on the floor, dead. <laughs> I'm getting thrown around by Frank Lyer after the whistle. So yeah, I think he he's been up there to get some names, hasn't he, Tom? Mate, that he was actually on one, wasn't he? That was not play on, by the way, that scenario, because it was the clearest day, he knocked it on. So everyone's basically stopped, but the ref for some reason was slow on the whistle. So I've sort of ambled over towards him, but the ref hasn't actually really blown the whistle yet. I've got quite close to Frank, Halai, and he's blown the ref blowing the whistle finally, but it's too late. Frank's committed to the fend. Honestly, my, my head and shoulders hit the ground before my legs. Like, that's how powerful his friend was. And I was there, I was like looking up like, that's not legit. Like, he's just thrown me after the whistle. See Norts and Marcus coming across thinking, great, lads are backing me up. Did they? Absolutely nothing from them. All been there. We've all been there. <laughs> one night in heaven, one night in heaven. Uh, Norts, so you spoke about um, the lads driving you in training. Um, brings us nicely onto a question from a former teammate of yours, um, Fergus. Uh, he has come in with, of your mentors, your mentees actually, who are you most? Who are you most scared of? 
Is it Ben Harris, Ryan Oluwafele, Femi, or Circa? Um, yeah, I saw this question. Good question, to be fair. I think the nice thing at the sevens is obviously for young guys coming in, they get obviously get a chance to be mentored by some of the older guys. Um, and so one of the world's for, best tri-scoring machines. I've been there for a few years. So yeah, I've had the privilege of actually working with some good young talent. Um, yeah, it's a shame that only Ben Harris, probably the worst one out of all of them, is still around. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> like, yeah, there's been some, um, there's been some good guy, young guys come through. And I think, like I said, the nice thing is, like when I was younger and I was at, in the Academy of Gloucester, I'm not getting any love. Um, this I play 15s by the way, not the sevens. I thought I'd got it in there, um, but not very well, or not for not very long either. Stop fishing for contracts. It's <laughs> bad as chipping. <laughs> Can they hear me? Yeah. Anyway, and there was obviously some of the senior guys in the team would actually literally just like anytime we went out for some drinks or we went anywhere away from rugby or even in, near rugby, they would literally have our pants down and get us doing stupid things as you would do like the same old initiation stuff and the hierarchy sense. So it's quite nice that we've got that in a small sense in the sevens, but at the same time, you get to actually, rather than that, that was like more bullying. Ours is bullying with love. So you get a chance to actually learn off some of the top guys. So yeah, it's nice for their skill sets. Um, but then from the question, I think... Yeah, well, they've all left now, so I don't know what that tells you. But at the same time, um, I think Ryan was probably, Ryan probably had the best natural skill. Like, Circle was good from a young age and stuff. Femi was pretty good in um, Cape Town, if you remember. Sorry about that. Um, and then, um, yeah, Ryan's got an awesome skill set and stuff. So it's interesting to see how he goes in 15s. Um, yeah, like he, his ability to change direction, his speed, his, his jumps, his hops, everything else is just ridiculous. So, yeah, probably Ryan. Oh, no, we, I don't want to. I don't want to open up old wounds. I think the damage was done. I think the damage was done after when. Uh, what did Simon say to you about after that game when Femi went round you and scored the winner? I, I don't know if I should tell you this. Um, went quiet for like five seconds and just went. He had your number then, and I was like, "Yeah, no, I, I was there, mate. I, I do remember it quite quite well, to be honest." Uh, yeah, but no, it's, it was fine. Like, I think it's nice to see him playing for Scotland. One of the ones I got a bit wrong in the tackle. Obviously, nice for him. Good story for everybody else. Him playing for England, moving to Scotland, young talent, and then scoring the winning try to beat us. Scotland beat England at Cape Town. So, yeah, and lucky Dean. I don't want to dwell on this for your, for your ego, but like jokes aside, there is a bit of a thing with wingers, isn't there? It's it's a bit more of a one-on-one type vibe when you're on the end. And often people are pitching winger against another winger. Like, is that something that you experience? Because that comes with its own pressure. And I guess also like there's something to feed off. Yeah, I think like the nice thing is if you, there's no better feeling than when you get it right and you literally just skin him straight away. Like there's no better feelings than not going around him and then scoring in the corner. Um, but at the same time, you're also quite isolated there as well. Being being having guys, 10 metres inside you and then having a few, like having no one outside you as well. So, so it's quite, it's quite daunting having that much space to defend. Um, and yeah, when you get it wrong, like it, it's plain for everybody to see. It's such a, a highlighted area. Um, but yeah, it, it's an area that I've, again, like I've tried to work on over the last few years and just get positioning right and technique. Some of the young guys, some of the guys at Sevens have helped me with that massively. Um, but yeah, it's just about getting it right and just getting You're your head welcome. in there, really. 
<laughs> Cough, Jeff. <laughs> who have been some of the hardest guys to defend over the years on the World Series? Um, well, yeah, from when oh. I started, someone like Frank Alive is pretty lethal. Again, he chipped my tooth one of the games. Nearly half knocked me my, out. Oh, <laughs> mummy. <laughs> Serves you, serves you right for not sticking up. For I me. had the last laugh there. Don't worry about it. Um, anyway, and then from there, I don't know. There's kind of been a, a, a mix of player to be honest. So someone like Perry's pretty, pretty um, exciting to kind of come up against. Like his skill set, you know, you have to be on your money. Same as Ciabello, you know, you have, to be able, you have to be on your money and be able to run fast. Carlin as well. Like these fast, fast guys. That, you know, if they change direction and they're gone, like that's your, that's your one life gone. So it's just about having that getting cocky before the game and knowing you're one of the fastest and getting your little chest up um, and knowing it's going to be a good battle. But yeah, these generally in these big games, like there's always someone in the other team who's going to be able to do a job on you. So I don't think it matters too much who you're playing against. It's just about getting it right and getting yourself in the right place. Jumping back a bit, Notes. Um, so, you know, you said you talked about 15s. A lot of people have been getting in touch and saying, basically, what what position would you go back to 15s at if you went back at all? And is that something that's on your on your radar at the moment or not? Um, well, it's kind of a hard one because obviously with with the Olympics next year, like I'd love the opportunity to play sevens, but if they're, if those options don't work out because I haven't been re-signed yet, like it's just about working out what other opportunities there are. I think deep down where I was, where I am now compared to where I were four or five years ago when I was looking potentially going back to 15s, I'm so much better now. And that's not me trying to be big-headed, but the stuff I've worked on and the stuff I know now and the confidence I get from playing, like I feel as I'm a better position, but obviously 15s has moved on from there and people have got their own opinions. So, you know, are the same as you, Chip and Mitch and potentially even Burnsy, all very confident in, their, in your own skill set. You Please, know, you no, sorry, 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 sorry. I got no, no, sorry. I've got, to, I've got to stop you there. I've got to stop you there. Um, Burnsy, this is uh, this is obviously for the pod. Like Burnsy, happy birthday for when the pod is out because you will have just turned forty. So he is not still playing playing, playing rugby. Burnsy's forty tomorrow. Uh, no, so he's he's retired. All right. Well, we, we said earlier that age, age is only a number. It's how you feel inside, Chip, isn't it? Yeah, I feel flumpy. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, back to my back to my earlier comment. Yeah, I, I think it's more so about having opportunity, and it's, I suppose in in fifteens, the opportunity for um, the opportunity for sevens to fifteens is quite hard, and people have that perception that sevens players don't have the physique or the ability to actually, you know, play at that level. So a bit frustrating at times, but hopefully the opportunity next year will be around the Olympics, and that would be an amazing opportunity again to play in a multi-sport event or even at least compete to get there. Yeah, so you mentioned that you've developed in the last four or five years. Do you think that you would have been able to develop in that way if you'd been part of a 15 setup? Or do you think that that's come from that exposure on the big side of the pitch, one on one, those pressure situations, huge stadiums? No, I don't. I think the exposure, um, the pressure, the pressure to actually perform, the pressure to stay in a job, like all those, all those mixed into one. Like you have to, you don't get those exposures. Like the opportunity to get my hands on the ball in sevens is probably four or five times more than I would in a 15s game. The opportunity to uh, to make so sort of a range of tackles as well and make decisions with the ball, without the ball, in the defensive line, um, skill set around high balls. Like they obviously be these small. 
um, these small individual skills. I would have probably practiced and tried to hone in 15s, but to have to be exposed in that manner in seven, there's nothing like it. And I know obviously people will say, oh, you're playing against smaller guys, you're playing against this, but their skill set to change direction and to to you know make decisions so, so quickly and their speed and their agility and just their obviously the game's getting faster, boys are getting bigger, like it's not getting easier. Um, and I think that's testament to the whole game of sevens moving so quickly. So I'm I'm enjoying I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but yeah, I'd, I'd love a shot at 15s. But who knows? Being 45 years old, hey Burnsy. About I'm at my best. I actually had a conversation with Tom Farrow today uh, <laughs> about doing a yo-yo versus Mitch and Chip when we come out of lockdown and seeing who comes out on top. Wow. <laughs> Burnsy. Run at me, boys. This, Run at this me. was inevitable because every pod we've done so far, notes, I know you've only listened to a couple, but Burnsy tries to drop in. I've done the marathon disables. I'm doing sprints with Perry. Oh my gosh, I'm a big <laughs> runner. You're such a lick ass, Burnsy. You're a lick ass. The other one you drop in is that you think you're a yo yo specialist because of that time you went to Twickenham and beat the guy from Men's Health in the yo yo for the media day, didn't you? Mate, I was on I was on the radar for a little bit there. I was, I was, <laughs> Simon was Simon was there at the press day, and he's like, "Who's this shower of shit that runs a nineteen on the yo-yo?" Oh, drop that <laughs> in there. No one asked you. You got nineteen. For those of you who don't know who are listening, the yo-yo scores nineteen is the England sevens kind of elite minimum level. baseline, yeah. and it's pretty and. And Noughts has got below that before, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so was, 19's a pretty one, good score. There was one year when Simon came in, um, obviously, <laughs> we're supposed to be the first rugby players, he's supposed to be the coach. And he, I remember I pulled up and was out, and he was like, yeah, that's me done then, and decided to stop himself, like, voluntary. It was like, fucking hell, mate. Your mate was literally just charging around, beating in the yo-yo. Respect. <laughs> <laughs> So my, qu my question was, your position, your role in the team is very unique, that you're the moneymaker. You're the guy that you get the ball and it's bums off seats, getting excited because you're a match winner. Whereas everybody else is playing a bit more, uh, more of a role. Their roles can be quite interchangeable, whereas you have a, a very singular very important purpose. I know that everyone is a cog in the machine. Be fast. But, but you score the tries that win the games. Yeah, I'm not, I, yeah, I, I, I think looking back, there are there has been some cool memories and stuff and there's been some memories we've all kind of shared together. But at the same time, like there's, I'm no different to Mitch or Chippy. I'm, I'm doing my job and like I'm lucky that I get put in a space at times sometimes by Mitch or sometimes by Chippy. But yeah, that's just, that's just me and my skill set. I'm trying to go out there and do as well as I can. Like I'm not trying to be anything else. And I think if boys have the same the same opportunity that I have, then I'm sure they would have the same the same goals as well to be able to do that too. So I don't think that I'm doing anything anything um, out of the order in, in, in that sense. I'm just doing my best. <laughs> my mum told me to do it at school. This is not... This is normally when I say that there's no room for your humility in seventh heaven, which I've said before to other guests, um, and I stand by that. But like we were joking, like picking up on Burnsy's point is a good one because I know I joked last night. I was like, "You're the Michael Jordan of our team," because I was watching the Last Dance. We'll bring it up again. It's, it's you can uh, Mitch, you can't go there. 
<laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a good analogy. It's a good analogy. It's a good analogy. I'm going to run with it. It would cut out Chippy's bit. <laughs> right. So I know we're joking about it, but everyone is loving the last dance and we're seeing clip after clip of Michael Jordan winning games for the Bulls. Like, yes, Scottie Pippen's doing his thing. Dennis Rodman's doing his thing. But Michael Jordan is winning the games, getting the, the buckets to seal it. Like, to some extent, that you must love that. Well, it depends which it depends which episode you've watched because obviously there are times where he does turn it on and he's ridiculous, but there's also times where it's more so about the team. So it depends which episode you watch, to be honest, Tom. Uh, but yeah, like I, I like I enjoy I enjoy doing what I'm doing, and I I remember Ben Ryan back in the day when he was coaching, like said you want to try and be that go-to guy. And that was always something that kind of was like, actually, yeah, that makes sense. Like in those big moments, you want to be the person that the team leans on. Um, and that's just, that came kind of- Put the team on your back. That kind of came consciously as well, as a sense of being like, right, now it's my time or now I need to try and get a big play. Um, but that doesn't always work. Like it's just about, you've got 14 minutes trying to wait for the last minute, trying to be that, do those big moments, doesn't work. Like it's just about going out there and just smash it for 14 minutes and just hanging on for dear life. You know, you spoke before about, um, like, before the game, you've got to think, right, I'm faster than him. I'm a better winger than him. I'm, the, like, the best in the world. Is there something in that in that psyche before the game? Like, is there something that helps you get there? Or is it, like, is there is it just, is it all your own mental prep? Or obviously, I know Mitch does a lot, like, not to suck you off, Mitch, but, like, you do a lot with all his, us individuals about, um, <laughs> can you say that or not? Busy? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. It's just weird, man. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Nothing weird about huh. it. I, I like... Okay, Mitch, not... I, I like weird. Not to suck Mitch off too much, but before... Yeah, I know he does a lot of homework. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not hey, I'm going back anyway, into so it. I think he'll be all right. But Mitch, you do a lot of work before the games about what works for different people, like who needs a bum slapping, <laughs> who... Um, who needs a G up and who doesn't? But like, no, for your personal prep pre-game, is it all you or is it like, is it when I put King Hunter on the speakers for you? We get a little bit turned. Uh, no, yeah. like I think um, I don't have that. I'm not, I don't have that American kind of theme around being like, I'm the best, like there's no one else, like I'm the best in the world. I don't have that chat. It's more so just about having clarity around my role. And I've gained that over the years of breaking down and being reflective, the boring stuff around what my role looks like. Had chats with psychologists, Kaywana, little shout out to her, um, the work she's helped me do, just understand how my brain works, then the negative chat you have, the chatter in your head, just how, helping you quiet, quieten that down. And at the same time, realizing what your ability is and how good you can be. And that's the two things that drive me. And as well as running fast, like I know if I run fast, I can do a job really well. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the thing that drives me. But then at the same time, I'm fully committed to the process of warming up so the warm-up so i get the t my timings around getting changed my boots on music on coffee mobility stretching like that's all a set procedure and that slowly turns me on and then when i get into that position then i'm in a good position to literally smash it and i love it like having those vibes with the boys dancing around not ridiculous but like getting some good vibes on um getting in a good place like makes you happy getting the coffee on board like it all just eats into that preparation that i've kind of had in my head and then from there i know like 
as soon as I run out, that release of energy of being like, right, I'm playing in 40,000 people, in front of 40,000 people here. Like, let's go, let's go get it done. Oh, mate, stop. You're making me want to play. Getting the juices going. It's really making me miss it when you just said that. <laughs> um, and that's pretty cool because obviously people will just watch you and see you do your thing. And you're one of those players that makes it look effortless. And I think one of it is just your running style because you... Um, I don't know what's going on again. I know. This video, is he still but, talking or not? I don't know. Um, you make it look effortless. Part of that's the way you run. Um, but it's amazing for probably for people to hear. And I think this probably goes for more sportsmen than it doesn't. Sports people that doesn't. But that you, it's not just about rocking up, like, oh, doing loads of speed training, getting really quick and rocking up and doing it. Like there's so much more that goes to it that people won't be aware of. So that's, that's cool. I, I've, got a quick, I've got a quick one for you. Um, notes. It's from a listener. We, I, can't, I didn't write go. down who it's from. Oh, Lath on tour. It says, um, snog, marry, avoid, Mitch, chip, rodders. <laughs> um, snog, marry, uh, I think, well, I think it's kind of a hard one. I was thinking this earlier because I saw the question as well. Um, marry, there's, there's negative in all of it. If I marry, if I marry uh, Mitch, He's going to be the most caring, over-caring person and being like, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? What do you want? Is this okay for me? I, mean, I, I can do rough love. Is it too I cold? could do rough love. Yeah, but I know it's false, Tom, all right? If I go with Chippy, his breath stanks. Every time I wake up in the morning, I want to smell his <laughs> There we go. Um, with there we go. as well, like, those hands are too big for me. Like, you know, there's too many, there's too many options here. I don't know what I'm going for. I think I'm going to have to go... Um, Marry, marry Mitch. No, marry, marry Chippy. I think marry Chippy, uh, snog Mitch, and avoid Rodders because Rodders is bought, Rodders is Rodders is hands and the features. Rodders' hands are massive. Uh, Chippy's breath stinks, so I can I can avoid that. One night in heaven, one night in heaven. Circle it back to rugby a little bit. Go on, Bernie. Ask a sensible question. Uh, Norts, as an avid listener, uh, you'll be aware of my exceptional season as coach of the rugby school under nine BT <laughs> this year. So I just want to talk strategy and tactics and any coach out there will have probably shouted from the touchline at their young charges to not run across the pitch. However, you do it with quite a lot of success when you go inside. We obviously played the try that you got against Scotland at the London sevens and you seem to take that shape quite a lot. And I'm just want to ask Chip and Mitch, from a tactical point of view, does Norts have a bit more free reign than everyone else? Are you guys all playing within a system, whereas Norts is a, a libero, as Ben Ryan called it with uh, Dammy Dammy when he was at Newbury? Uh, I think it's not necessarily that some people are in a system and that Norts is a libero. Um, it's just playing to... It's part of his skill set. So I think part of the skill set of some wingers, not all, um, but experienced ones like Dean is that, you know, so, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but <laughs> basically they'll either run around the outside, they'll either step through people, or we call it a slam, but basically run themselves back out. So if the defence is all shifted across to one side, this is turning to a nauseous corner, isn't it? If the defence is shifted to one side, then it makes sense for an easy way to get the ball out of that space where there's those defenders is for the winger to actually run themselves back out into the middle of the field where there's more space and Norts does it really well Tom Bone does it really well 
Um, but not, not all wingers have it in the locker. But presumably that is dependent on a huge amount of pace, so not all wingers can do it, that's what you're saying. It's pace, but it's also a read, isn't it, Norts? Yeah. <laughs> so if you call, if you call, <laughs> so Booz, if I was on the end, like, I, I don't do that. Obviously, because my skills, my skill, my skill level set is not for running back across a pitch looking for a gap. So if I'm on the end, yeah. So sorry, Bernsey, I'll, I'll actually jump in. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it's a way of just seeing what they're like. Like Mitch said, a way of seeing where the space is. If I'm, if I know that if I'm taking the winger on, I'm trying to go as fast as I can. If that space closes and they've had to kind of bring two or three guys over, then the space is elsewhere. So rather than being stupid and my skill set isn't to carry and be a heavy forward like chipping, I'm there to find out where the space is. So I will go and try and bring someone else into the game and create space for them somehow. Or if teams fall for that and decide that actually they jump on that make a reads, then I will then go through like and just feel where the space is. But yeah, it's all very reactive. It's not really too programmed but it's just having some freedom and a bit of fun with the ball in hand to be honest it takes a bit of time to get it right doesn't it? a bit of experience because if you end up too close to the defense and try and run yourself out they'll just shut it off and then you can't get out and you're kind of in no man's land uh, but if you do it too early then the defense hasn't actually shifted across far enough to create space back in the middle yeah so, so if you it's a good if, technical question yeah, though Bernsey well done for making it real serious rugby pig central uh, when um, where, so if you watch the video on on your um, on your social channel I'm actually trying to like gas gas him first of all then obviously that closes straight away so he obviously he like obviously he shit himself and tried to actually um, tackle me and then I realised obviously I wasn't going to get around him and he was going to tackle me so I thought to myself fine there's two guys in front of me three guys in front of me where else is the space and that's kind of where you go searching in a way but again people understand when that happens what their roles are um, some of them are a bit slow to work it out like Chippy and some of the other fat forwards but um, yeah generally we get there and it's just to have an opportunity as a team to kind of you know play around and create some unique opportunities Poor old jo poor old George Horn eh? Couldn't happen to a nicer block. Give the give the give the sweepers a break, Bernsey. To be to be <laughs> fair though, like the, he did pretty well to actually. Cause I would like in my head, I thought, right, I'm going here, I'm getting into the corner at least, kind of thing. And then he literally corner flagged the life out of me and got his angles like really well. Um, so then I had to like try and make a read, and then from that got lucky with a step, and then yeah, he, he fell over, but. Have you thought about taping your ears for extra aerodynamics? <laughs> I got a head guard I could lend you. Don't take off. Maybe you don't take off with those things, mate. I don't think my ears are actually that big. I think this one, one of them sticks out at an, ob, a, uh, an obtuse angle. Actually, now you mention it, it does. Your left ear sticks out a lot more than your right ear. Yeah, slightly. It's nearly as bad as Bunzi's. Uh, this is the type line, of chat that the listeners tune in for. Oh, <laughs> Norse. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the series this year, boys, because London was due to be this weekend. In fact, by the time we release it, probably London is or should have been happening. So what do you make of this year's series, Norse? What do you make of England? What do you make of the other teams and the sad premature end after Vancouver? Um, yeah, I think for us, it's been quite an up and down year, like like really good at the start in Dubai and Cape Town to get some of the guys back. He got injured kind of back end of last year. So obviously going into Colombia is qualifying for the Olympics. 
having those kind of three or four guys come back with shoulder injuries, um, like really good, and then being able to rehab all the boys through the pre the long preseason into the se- into Dubai and Cape Town, like the squad was in a good place. But then from there, obviously, we've had a lot of injuries, um, boys carrying a few niggles and stuff. So it's just about it was more about managing the squad for long term than it was about potentially peaking in the short term. Um, so yeah, that was kind of more our goal. Um, at times it was a bit frustrating being in the moment. So you kind of had to have that clarity and be boring and be like, well, the actual bigger picture is actually peaking. And if we're going to have, if we're going to have guys playing at 50% or 60% with injuries, they're not going to last to the end of the season. So for us, it was more about taking that conscious effort to actually blood some young guys, bring in some young guys, make the squad better for like the coming years and stuff um, and have that kind of long-term view on it and not get too distracted by what was happening here and now too much. Do you think that this season has brought potentially long-term a lot more depth to the seven setup because so many players have been exposed to the World Series, maybe more than would have done usually in England are looking at an, a bit more uh, a South Africa situation where they've got a number of players with big game, big tournament experience that they can draw upon in the future. Yeah, I think I think it has, but at the same time, in the reality of it, we've only got a small squad, so it's kind of it's it's hard to be able to rival a South Africa model when they've got the opportunity to call in super rugby guys and a lot of the under twenty young guys. So for us, we're kind of it's hard to try and get some real good quality within the squad and hold on to it for a few years. Like that's kind of probably been the battle of the last, you know, three, four, five years, having the quality come in and then keeping it for a long term. Um, but yeah, like when I, when I first played sevens, again, it took a number of tournaments before I played more than 14 to play 40 minutes. It took me nearly like 10, 15 tournaments. Whereas these, these guys are coming in and playing a lot of minutes. I'm still waiting. <laughs> yeah. These guys are coming in and playing a lot of sevens straight away. So it's great for their confidence. It's, it can kind of go one or two ways. It can either be a blessing or it can also, you know, take the confidence out of them. So it's kind of just about getting that balance right. And that's where you nurture them. That's when you get the older, boring guys like Mitch to come in and try and give them an arm round and just give them the guidance they need to get to those better places. Uh, so you've got Tom Emery coming in. Um, back end of last year, did a good job for us. Uh, young halfback, promising, um, and Will Hendy. Again, these two guys have come in and just brought a good skill set. And the other guys are Alfie Johnson, three young guys come in this year. They've all been blooded. They've all had opportunities to play some rugby. So, yeah, long term, it's been good for us as a squad. Um, and, yeah, it's been enjoyable to help support their journeys. Frustrating at times for all of us, but, you know, nice that they're getting these opportunities at such a young age. Norse has strategically left out a young winger that he's been mentoring because he doesn't want to big him up too much in public, Ben Harris. Yeah, but he came in last year and was pretty dire. So potentially this is his first, this is probably <laughs> his first year again, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think he came into a like, post-Christmas, did he? <laughs> well, me, me, and you, me and you have been mentoring big Benny Harris, haven't we, for the last couple of years? Because he's a, he's a hybrid of me and you, Dean. He's, he's massive and good looking and he's quick as well. So which bits am I, sorry? Just a quick bit. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. What about what about the people's champion, the camel, Will Muir? No, he's been around for donkeys. Who cares yeah, about him? Let's not talk. Too long. He's got too big for his boots as well. The kid come in and played, scored one or two good tries here and there, but you know, he's just um he's potentially on his last legs, isn't he? <laughs> the most robust man. 
we were going to get him on the pod, but he, he couldn't come on, so we had to get is you that, Is that actually the reason why? This is true, by the way. I'm no, literally no, right not. now. Jimmy, three, three, you, you three, swore three to days. me that I was the best thing you could ever get. <laughs> Mate, Norts, trust me, you've been on the schedule. You've been on the, what do they call it? Burns the, it? the roster. You've been on the billing for ages, mate. We've been waiting for this time because it's the London Sevens weekend. Obviously, everyone was gearing up for the to see you do your thing at Twickenham, the home of rugby, in their fancy dress. On that serious point, what what do you think is the best fancy dress you've seen knocking around the stadiums? There's been some good ones at London, and uh, yeah, there? I don't think so. There's obviously like things like Avo Man and stuff, and there's loads of like um unreal um attention to detail and there's some um, ridiculous cottage. But as a collective, the best is probably Wellington in its heyday. Like you had 95 percent of people dressed up. As Sam Dixon said last week, like 20 beers deep by the time they get there, like all going crazy, hostile crowd. They hate everybody. They love New Zealand. They despise Australia, despise the French. Like it's incredible. They're chucking beers at you and stuff sometimes. Like the night games there, like playing in the big games was like mental. They are steaming. They're throwing beers at you as you're warming up. Um, they love the Kiwis. They hate everybody else. Like it's just an awesome, awesome atmosphere. But that's that's how it should be, shouldn't it? All seven tournaments should be like that. Yeah, it is nice when obviously you get the the home team having that little kind of favourite, like little edge and stuff. And they again, it kind of cheese at the other teams because obviously if you beat the home team. Like, yeah, it's a nice feeling. Like, so I think New Zealand, like obviously Sam Dixon saying last week, New Zealand beating South Africa in South Africa. Um, yeah, on my debut, we beat New Zealand in New Zealand in the final. So that was pretty special. Again, the, the crowd went pretty quiet, pretty quickly, left pretty quickly after abusing us for a little bit. But yeah, like you get these amazing opportunities to play the home teams at home. There's no there's no better places like it. You don't really get teams playing at home very often, do you? Because they're all around the world. They, you know, they're fast-paced. You're, you're in and you're out straight away. So having that feels quite nice. And what about, what about being in the home team at the home stadium at London? You've had some pretty cool experiences there over the years before me and Chippy were involved anyway. Yeah, so um, my third tournament playing at the London Sevens. Um, again, very early on in my Sevens career, 20 years old or 21 years old. Um, yeah, got an opportunity to play at the, at the Twickenham. Amazing, loved it. Um, didn't play many minutes at all over the whole weekend. Um, and then got with about 30 seconds left to go. I'm sat on the bench and Ben Ryan calls me and goes, not you going on. So I literally run out to him like, yeah, mate, what's up? Do you want some water? Or who needs some water? Thinking he was telling me to get on and get some water to the boys. How, how times have changed? How times have changed. And then he tells me I'm going on. I'm like, fuck me. I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. I was like, all right, sound. Take off my bib, throw it to uh, the other peasants in the team. Um, and then, yeah, go on and get a, a ridiculous opportunity to run fast. And then, yeah, score a try. Take it to extra time. So yeah, cheers for team that Mitch. Speaking speaking of extra time, Norts, my my favourite moment in a stadium was seeing your extra time try against Fiji when you guys won Cape Town Sevens in 2016. I was actually sat with your dad as well. Were you? Um, <laughs> I'm glad Aubrey's made got a Were mention on the pod. It's only right. It, genuinely, yeah. Oh, so wow. um I 
I'd been at Dubai the week before. It wasn't the championship season, lads. It was 2016 <laughs> when we relinquished our crown. And and ran and your dad, we had a big social in Dubai afterwards, Legend. and your dad was was in the mixer. And then ran into him at, ran it ran into him at Cape Town. And he <laughs> he goes, Oh, so so pleased to run into you, lad. And he pulls a brown envelope out of his pocket and he's got a, a stack of developed photos of us on our social by the pitches in Dubai. Then we watched the uh, rugby with him all day in the stadium. And that, that extra time try against Fiji, holy shit, I've never been in a louder stadium. Yeah, my, my dad um, loves rugby, like hands down, best thing in the world. Like from taking me to, so when, when I first started going to watch him play rugby when I was like nine, we cycled to the, the local rugby club um again he'll then get he'll play rugby on the saturday i'll like help pour the tea after the game maybe having a fag at halftime whatever else he'll then go back to the club drinks a load of uh beers singing and stuff and then we'll slowly cycle home and it's always like don't tell your mum i want some money on the gambler kind of thing <laughs> and then we'd get we'd get home and stuff and like here's like every saturday we'd go and watch rugby and it's more social than it was actually like like professional so that was nice to see firsthand um and from there he's just like followed me around the world everywhere i went i've been um yeah and then having him in cape he likes town, a bit of stash as well doesn't he yeah having him in cape town i'm sure he was stashed up to the nines wasn't he every north and every more biscuit you could find probably wasn't he bernsey stashed up to the back teeth yeah it's not just Dan's stash that he takes. No, I think he takes anything he can get his hands on, unfortunately, which is probably the depressing thing. So if anybody's missing some kit out there, probably check my dad's wardrobe. Um, but yeah, Cape Town was pretty special because obviously my dad was there. And yeah, I get a, a last minute winner to get the boys through, get us all through into a... Give us a semi, wasn't it, Chip? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was into the semi, yeah, wasn't it? That was the quarters. We all got a semi, which is quite nice. Um, but yeah... Cape Town as a whole, like that was probably top top five moments ever. Like playing in Cape Town, playing these playing South Africa in Cape Town, like so loud, forty thousand people, um, like all with all with flags, all screaming, all passionately singing the national anthem, like incredible. And I remember the stud stood there in the tunnel, being so loud, fireworks, being like, "Fuck, this would be so cool to shut them all out," kind of thing. So that was nice, um, like amazing effort from all of us. Great battle, uh, unreal game, etched in my history and my brain for forever now. Having my dad there, like some good beers after as well. Um, yeah, it just all went really well tomorrow. It's a good weekend, good on the pitch, good off the pitch as well. That game's going to be etched in everyone's memory now because Burnsy's brought it up two weeks in a row, which, to be honest, Burnsy, I'm not complaining about because I love reliving that night. I've seen, lo- I've seen loads of rugby in my time, but it was just, for me, it sticks out as a real I was there moment. And watching it unfold, you beating those two defenders and then going and the realisation that we were going to beat Fiji and move through to the semis. It was, it was just unbelievable. It was delirium in the stadium. You bracketed the legs, didn't you, Nuss? Didn't you give them the bracketed the legs? The thing, so, I, I've, so obviously I've scored a few tries and stuff, which has been quite nice, but some of them Chippy's been throwing me, <laughs> Chippy's throwing me a few passes in, the, in like some of the highlights. And if you ever watch any of them buck, or if you ever see a, a seed from Chippy, it's sending me the wrong direction. So it's kind of a task in itself to not only catch an absolute brick from Chippy, but also to really direct myself to go in the right direction after. 
That's why we get some of those amazing photos when you're celebrating. There's a class one where I'm going for a handshake. Oh, no, I'm going for a double <laughs> high five and Nautz is going for a handshake. I'm like, right, cool. <laughs> chemistry, chemistry. <laughs> to be fair, Chippy, Chippy's probably given you more assists over the years than I have. <laughs> like, I don't like passing to you, do I? No, I think Simon's given me more assists than you have. I mean, you like me playing the game. One night in heaven, one night in heaven, one night in heaven. So we touched on a few monumental moments in your career in your time playing for England what sticks out the most for you across your career so far um yeah like the, that the year when we obviously winning is pretty special and pretty nice and obviously whenever you're playing sevens I played 90 times now playing the tournaments like I've only won probably like between 10 and 15 times, I can't remember how many it is. So not not actually that many com- compared to like a New Zealand or a South Africa. So not winning is a massive, like, just feel so let down. Like you put in so much effort to play six games to not actually win. And then you're sat there watching two teams like fight it out to win. So that's pretty depressing at times to seeing that. Um, but yeah, it's nice winning. And you get an amazing feeling to be on top of the tree for, for, that, for that weekend. Um, but the highlights probably playing in the Olympics, more so for being involved in something so big rather than the medals ridiculous and cool and nice to be able to show family um, and friends and stuff. But to be able to say that's special, um, I know obviously, I know obviously it's hard for some of the boys to make the cut and stuff. And that period as a whole, that 14, 16 week period leading into the Olympics, like that period looking back was pretty special. Because you're training against or training with thirty guys, like the the best sevens players in in like in England, Scotland, and Wales, um, you're smashing it out to get into those thirteen places. So that period was intense and pretty pretty hard. But at the same time, like looking back, like I wouldn't change too much about it in that sense. From but I think I'm seeing it from my side of the field rather than seeing it from some of the guys who didn't make the cut. And that's not nothing to do get with them. But it's more so around. That whole that whole period gave me so much confidence in um, just competing and fighting and trying to get those positions sorted, and that's kind of what I really enjoyed. With that in mind, like, and we all know how tough that period of training was. If it moved to become a GB team on the World Series permanently, so not just for the Olympics, but for all time and the regular season. Do you, do you think that the, whatever GB team it was would be a dominant force in the World Series? Is that something you'd like to see in the future? Yeah, I, I, can, I can see. So I can see it from both sides. I can see it from a logical point of view of being in a Scotland world and then turning into GB for a set period. Like it's hard to get the dynamics right. And if you want to be successful in the sport and kind of with it being an Olympic sport, that kind of seems a, a worthwhile kind of transition. But at the same time, you're losing out on three rugby nations, three big rugby nations playing the sport. Um, and obviously the use of sevens as a development tool, the use of exposing players to it. Um, it's another opportunity to kind of have 25, 20 professional guys. Whereas having as just a GB squad, you're, you're going to have to have potentially, I don't know, X amount of players and you're losing out of those guys getting that exposure. So it may increase that small tip of elite players playing the sport, but actually as a growth over the three nations, you're going to lose that potential exposure because, yeah, it's potentially harder to get into. You're not getting as many opportunities to play the, to play the game. I don't know. 
You could just have a bigger, I was thinking, you could have a bigger GB squad and then still have a program whereby they went back to their nations and either played for clubs, well, probably play for clubs rather than playing in sevens. Um, or, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Again, obviously touching back to, touching back to uh, Ben Ryan's podcast and he made a good point around, obviously I, I enjoyed some of the stuff he was saying and reminiscing about the old times and stuff and when he first came into sevens. You also mentioned the opportunity to change um, the way the sevens weekends played. So rather than making a, a long-winded, potentially long-winded old way of doing it over two two days or three days, is there a way that it can be congested into a lot more digestible version of the game? Um, so potentially like the World Cup was in um, Straight enough, San yeah. Fran. Yeah, and having that kind of format because it makes it a lot more exciting, a lot more on the line. Um, and potentially, obviously... Teams, if they want to succeed, will have to probably like, invest more quality into it. Um, but then at the same time, you kind of got two ends of the spectrum of it. Teams who aren't deemed to be able to compete at the top, what I would like for them and development wise. And then the guys who are at the top, like how do they kind of stay there? And it's probably easier for the guys at the top because they're playing more games, playing more sevens, whereas guys may only play one game a weekend. But I do think there should be, or there's room for a shakeup within the game of sevens. How many episodes do you think we need to have of the Seventh Heaven podcast before we actually get to a, a solution for all this? Well, yeah, that's what I mean. I think because it's such a, a big sport you're playing in with 16 teams and over 10, 10 tournaments, like people always going to have their own, their, own, um, their own opinions. And with there being 16 teams involved, like you're, it's not going to benefit everybody. And that's probably going to be the hardest battle of finding a way where it, commercially it's a great um, it brings a gravity to the sport and great opportunity, but it also rewards everybody, not just the top teams or just the lower teams. Um, but I definitely think there needs to be some people with big, massive brains have a sit down and find a way to actually increase the opportunity and exposure around sevens. What about splitting the 16 nations into two tiers, but they play on the same on the same day? as a one tournament, but there's there's two different sides to the tournament. And on a weekly basis, you have two-team promotion relegation as to what tier you're going to play in. So if you've got, you've got like the top eight tier one, you've got the other eight in tier two, and you have the tournament in Dubai. And then the guys who finish top six in tier one, they stay in there for the Cape Town leg. And the guys who finish seven and eight, they move to the tier two. The other two go up into tier one and then they get their opportunity. And then that creates a fluid movement across the whole season, which is going to give teams opportunity to shine or to fall on a weekly basis. Just gets rid of all your upset. Just gets rid of all your upset. So like you, there is, there is upset. So is all your banana skins. And then is it aspirational for your 16 team to come on and only play the bottom eight when they don't get a chance to run out against England? They don't get a chance to run out against New Zealand. I, 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 I hear where you're coming from, but I just don't think it's a, it's a, like a, a workable one. Yeah, but they've got to fight for the right to to play those Depart- big games against in, England, New Zealand. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've just come up with this on the spot, so... Really? Couldn't tell. Um, no, it's it actually an interesting... That, that Jokes aside, though, that's the type of thinking we need. Like, starting from scratch, blank canvas, what would you do? That's the, that's the way to approach it going forward. So, Strobes, you've been on the series longer than Ben Harris has had pubes. 
Um, so talk <laughs> us through your best sevens players you've ever played against. Obviously, excluding all England, England lads because we're all legends and we'd get in and then it'd be boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam, 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 Sam. Um, yeah, so again, it's a hard one to think and narrow it down, but I've gone for... Um, so my prop, my first prop is Alapotti Falasilva. Falasilva, is that right, Mitch? How you say his name? Falasilva. Uh, Falasilva. Falasilva, yeah. So obviously massive, made of granite, um, fast, strong, throw people around when he wants, just an absolute wrecking ball. Um, he's my prop. Um, I'm going for DJ Forbes as well, like my hooker. So obviously, again, played against him for many a year. A, um, a skill, a good leader, a warrior. Like, he's got a great skill set for his position being a hooker. Good over the ball, strong, just pisses everybody off. Um, good at his role. Um, and then my other prop is Nakarawa. So the Fijian guy, giant, he's about nine foot five. Um, just his hands, his opportunities, line-out skill, boring stuff, kickoffs, and more so his, off, his offloading. His hands are so big, his offloading ability is ridiculous. So there's my three forwards. Um, and then I'm going halfbacks. I'm going for the, the great Serevi. So I played against him when I was 19 in an invitational tournament in Dubai at like the South Sea Drifters. I was playing for Samurai. Uh, we lost. Um, but yeah, I had the moment where I literally realized he was in front of me. Didn't realize that until then. Um, again, the stuff he's achieved on, in the game of sevens is pretty special. So he's my, one of my halfbacks. And my other one is Tomasi Karma. Tomasi Karma. Is that how you say his name, Mitch? Just keep saying it wrong. Is that right? Is that, is that fly? Karma, Tharma. Whatever you want. Yeah, Tomasi Tharma. Um, again, Time when we used to play those boys back in the day when I first came onto the seven circuit, he was the linchpin for all the good stuff that New Zealand did. Um, controlled the game, could win it on his own. Um, yeah, good in attack, good in defense, just a, a good wily um, um, sweeper. And then my center would be Radraja, so the ridiculous Fijian lord himself. Um, again, I think everybody knows his ability to play the game of rugby is pretty special to watch. Um, I don't think you want to be stood anywhere near when he gets the ball. Um, yeah, he's just quick and powerful. And my winger would be Rico, Rico Ioni as well. So the young when he first came onto sevens for New Zealand, he was 18. Like Marcus said a few weeks ago, he was 18 and he was throwing balls around. And just you could see from then he had that ability to actually just just heads above everybody else and shoulders above everybody else. So he's my winger. That is an absolutely destructively tasty team. Wow. I think you'd knock over some series with that boy. I actually feel nervous just thinking about playing that team. I made a, um, so I made a, my other seven team would probably be Tim Mickelson prop, Kiwi, um, been a player against him many a time. Frankie Horn, South African, again, made a granite, workhorse, old school. PO2I, my other prop, ridiculous offloading ability, crazy crazy skill set. Jerry 2I to go with his brother. Um, yeah, uh, that harmony there. And Cheslin Colby, 10. Um, again, his ability to change the game. Charles Piertal on centre, and I said about him. And Ciabello Sinatla, ridiculous. Decent team as well. Imagine. Imagine those two teams 
playing up against each other. I'm in a third team as well, by the way, but I won't go into that. I don't think we've got enough Sorry, time. <laughs> so we've got to get a bet. I love oh. it. You're such a rugby nose, you are. You're a rugby pig, mate. I love it. Uh, I mean, I mean, let's hear it because I can cut it out, and I'm a, I'm a big well, Norse. So go I on, let's, let's let's hear the third. I one. had so Ardi Severe in there as one of my hookers. Trevor Ennis again, he's Samoan god again, similar build to Fire Silver, ridiculous, um, fast and strong. Um, I put Roscoe in there as one of the halfback pairings, just because his ability to change the game, his speed, agility, his energy is relentless. Um, old school centre of Zar Lawrence. Um, Kiwi center, just a good controlled ability on him, just amazing skill set again. And then I finish with pairing on the wing. Oh, I throw that in there again, battling it, battling against him. Um, he's put me in a few dark places, but at the same time, his ability to change the game, his his pace, like there's not many else on the series over the last ten years of playing who's had that ability. <laughs> Ooh. love it let's we, we, let's get all three up on the socials and put it to a vote who'd win do you know someone someone got in touch with me uh last week a guy jake a listener after because we mentioned po we mentioned po2i last week and you told the story about him playing in oxford chip it turns out that he was playing for marlborough, marlborough. who are two who are two leagues below nat two yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he was he was, so I coached at Beaconsfield and then one week they were, t- I remember my, my mate Fraser went to watch them play before he was coaching and they were like, oh yeah, mate, apparently there's some Fijian guy with a gold medal playing for uh, Marlborough. I was like, what? So I did some research and found out it was PO2I. The guy's running around at like six foot six, 18 stone, just whoop, throwing around loads of bread like, like it's bloody nothing out there. Ridiculous. Dean, been around a while. Um, obviously, with we had Ben on the other day and with Simon. What would you say the main differences between those two are as coaches? Well, all, all I was going to say was obviously like they're both different guys, and like I'm pleased that I've had the opportunity to be coached by them both because um, when I first got on the seventh, the way that we played the game with England, it was more about expressing yourself and that that individual ability to kind of reflect on the game. Whereas Simon brought a bit more structure from the get the way he is as a whole. He brought more structure and more understanding around and obviously the game changing us spending more time doing sevens of more around individual kind of um, progression in, sorry, in like technical ability. So can I be better in this area in tackling and the small little nuances you kind of have more time to spend full time compared to um, a part-time base that we were with, with Ben. Go on then, Dean. Like, you don't offer much, but what you do offer is a bit of pace to the squad. A few people want to know how you do it and, and just in a quite succinct answer, which I know is tricky for you, but what are a couple of the key things that you work on to get your speed the top level it is? Thanks for the backhanded compliment there, Mitch. Sort of slap across the face there. Um, yeah, so I think the main areas which I kind of have the luxury of as being in a professional environment um, spending a lot of time of getting my body nice and strong and being able to actually reach those speeds. So if your body's strong enough from your strength training, you've got strong legs, you can change direction really well, then that gives you a great building block. If you haven't got those building blocks ready, then you're never going to get those top speeds. From there, I've spent a 
um, a few years over the years, I've kind of developed a better understanding around how I need to move properly. So watching video of guys running fast, um, understanding how the best guys in service change direction and run fast um, and what kind of what things they see and what how I can replicate that in my training to give me that opportunity to, to have it in my head to the one I do go and play, it's second nature. Um, but yeah, there are times where I do go run on the track or I spend time doing those sprints and working on that technical work with one of my sprint guys. So a guy called show Jonas. Out, sh- shout, shout out Jonas Speedworks. Speedworks crew. Um, but yeah, being able to get those opportunities are for everybody. So it's about having a good, strong base, being able to move powerfully and really well and then from there it's just about working on running fast so getting more opportunities to run fast and being strong enough to run fast but then you can also Burns furiously making notes there so that he can put into action in his next speed session next week <laughs> next week's podcast i've done notes this podcast for speed session thank yeah. you but i think it's different to so being fast is obst- being fast is one part of uh, is one is one facet of, of a game, but the main part is about understanding how you actually utilize that and use it. So you get some rapid guys playing the sports. It's how you use that to your own advantage and how you change direction, how you actually give yourself the opportunity and the space to actually run fast. And that's what I've learned over the years. Decent. Noughts, mate. We love you and you're a pretty... I'd say pretty integral part of our squad. Have been for a long time for England Sevens. Top man, Norse. Thanks for jumping on, our kid. <laughs> Thank you for having me, guys. One night in heaven, one night in heaven, Top bloke, and he he's one of my best mates um, on the team, along with T Bob and the rest of the lads. Um, he's a he's a top boy. He's your, like best worst mate. Um, he kind of. He spoke quite well there, like which is surprising for all of us because you know we're used to hear him chat absolute breeze. Um, so when he's we're speaking about um, the stuff he does in opposition and the work he puts in off the field and his process, the stuff he's worked on with Katie Warren, it's quite inspiring. Um, and obviously Mitch touched on it in the pod, it proper got my juices flowing to want to get back and play sevens again. Like just reminiscing about some of the experiences we've been through together and stuff hopefully that's to come in the future. I'm buzzing to get back in. I'm going to be training hard tomorrow, I'm telling you that. Yeah, too right. Yeah, it's inter- it's it's awesome that people are going to get a chance to hear from him because it's I often if I ever do an interview, you get asked about Noughts because he's such a superstar and he's a massive uh, figure in the game. But it's really hard to sum him up and like to explain the type of character he is because he's pretty he's odd. I've never actually met anyone like him. And to be honest, until like four years ago, I didn't I didn't get him. I didn't know what he was about. I remember when I, I actually first met him when I was at Bristol. Um, and I was a fresh pants still at uni and I just got to do pre I was like given the opportunity to do pre-season at Bristol Rugby and I was like wow this is massive pretty nervous and Noughts was like treading the line between bullying me and also being my my best mate and supporting me and I was so confused I didn't know whether I hated the guy or whether he was my best mate it was very confusing and it wasn't until like two years into sevens where I realized oh that's just him like he's, he's a good guy and I could be mates with him. Exactly. That's um, what our friendship is built on. I know that he's he's my mate because he's horrible to me. Like he, he hammers me and I'm like, oh, okay, Norse is all right with me today. That's fine. Um, he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet one-on-one. As soon as you get him in a group, he's going to ruin you and tell the group the rest of your secrets you've told him one-on-one anyway. Um, Mitch, I'm so glad that you brought up the Michael Jordan analogy because obviously everybody's, entirely consumed by the last dance. I I watched episode nine and 10 yesterday and I'm a bit of a loss as to what I'm going to do next Monday. But 
he deflected it a little bit, but he does play that Michael Jordan role and that other players surrounding him that play the role, as Steve Kerr says in the last answer, they play a role to support what he can do that nobody else in the side can do. Yeah, that's it. I mean, and and he's he's not, that's not a false humility. Like he's genuinely, you know, he's not one of these guys, it's all about me, it's all about me. Like it's, I actually love it when you see moments where he is thriving off being the man. Like I think that's really cool to see, but it's not, that's not him day in, day out. And uh, I think it'd be tiring to be honest if that was, and he wouldn't be such a good teammate if if he was. But yeah, 100%, when you've got someone on your team with his caliber, his skill set, his ability to do what he does, you're thinking, right, what can I do? Especially in my position, I'm like, what can I do here to try and give him a decent shot to do what he does? You know, and 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 sometimes that means, well, I've got half a sniff of a gap here, but actually, if he's got half a sniff, I'm going to bank on him doing something glorious out there and get getting the ball. 100%. Like, whenever I see him, I know to, I'm, I'm just giving him the pill. I am giving him that pill because he is going to do something special. And if he's not, he's going to put someone else in to do something special. And also he's 10 times quicker than me, so it's, it's not a hard decision. It's funny, isn't it? To the point that people who don't necessarily understand the game that well, so often you'll get fans saying, oh, you need to give it to Nortsmore, you need to give it to Nortsmore. It's like being back in the playground when like, you just give your, your biggest kid or the quickest kid the ball Und- and let him score. Under 13s, you know, you got the big lump and then he, he turns shit after a couple of years because everyone catches him up. No, no one's ever caught Norts up. That's, 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 <laughs> that's the problem. Okay, right, that's it from all of us in Seventh Heaven for another week. Next week, we have our virtual World Series Roundup, where we're going to be bringing in a couple of very special guests to talk about the series that was, the series that was cut short, but still give out a few gongs for the work that was done on the pitch. But until next week, from all of us in Seventh Heaven, it is adios. Thank you.